0: Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Also with us through the magic of the internet, all the way from our Tennessee, Lee Younger. It's true, I'm here. Uh, that's right, we are back. We took last week off because, well, I don't plan ahead very well and people are traveling. So, uh, <laughs> as ever, if you have any complaints about the Say That podcast, write in saythatpodcast at gmail.com and we offer a 100% refund. Ah! But uh, everyone's very kind. We hope you appreciated the uh, the little drop-in of the radio show. We may have some other uh, special fill-ins here and there through the summer as people are traveling, whatnot. Now that that's a thing you can do again, we are availing ourselves of it here in the summer. But we got a great show for you lined up today. We've got our normal questions. We've got some great ones from you guys lined up. We also have, well, really several concurrent emergencies. Ooh, wow. And I don't know that we've actually broached this subject on the program before, but uh, there's a couple of subjects I want to bring up, and I want to start with a tweet that came out today as we're recording this. We record on Sunday, the 10th of July here, and uh, somebody who who writes for the New York Post noted, mm, I'm going to go ahead and say newspaper against my better judgment, but you know, noted print version of Fox news, the New York post. (laughs) Uh, and they, the article, uh, that the tweet came along with says this new. It's hard being a Christian in America right now. Very. We get called fascists, extremists, and worse, but people of faith, AKA Christians in quotation marks, like me are sick of being punished for their views in America. Hashtag Christianity. Hashtag free speech. Now, uh, Several things uh, flow from this. One never has the uh, quotation marks around Christians. Have I agreed with it more than in this particular
1: tweet? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Somebody might want to break it to this person that there are people of faith who are not Christians. Those are not actually uh, uh, equal statements. But right, uh, the main one. I think it's important to do a, a little bit of uh, audience of kind of market research here. We have we have thirty people who are, who are Christian. And are mm. Christian publicly. Uh, yes. And part of our jobs at various times. And Christians on the internet for some 10, 15 years at this point. Now, I've never been called a fascist. Mm. Huh. I wonder why that is, Matt. Lee, anybody accuse you of fascism? Uh, not yet. Okay. That's an important caveat. I did very much use the past tense. We can only account for that. Uh, Jed, anyone uh, in a in fit of anger? Or judgment on the various social media platforms you've been a part of accused you of ascribing to early 20th century right-wing political ideology fascism.
2: I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. I mean, I've gotten plenty of comments about
0: fashion, but sure. not fascism. Yeah, those so. are different.
2: Ooh. yeah quite, quite different.
0: Both, both uh, can trace their uh, roots to Milan but they are very different. (laughs) That was well done, sir. That was well done.
1: (laughs) The noted fashionist, Jed
0: Brewer. (laughs) That's three for three. That's a hundred percent of the, uh, say that podcasting crew here has not been accused of fascism. Um, maybe because we don't say fascist things. (laughs) I'm wondering maybe if you go around advocating for, uh, punishment of immigrants, uh, people of a certain underclass to be subject to different laws than people who of a certain racial and uh, ethnic caste. Um, you know, the idea that society is in moral decay and only a uh, strong, masculine central government can stop that, you know, tenets of fascism. Maybe that would lead to people uh, saying that about you.
2: Mm. Huh.
0: Or it could be that they hate your Christianity.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, we, we've gone through one of these. I mean, let's, let's kick it back around. Have either of you ever been called an extremist?
0: Hmm. No, I've been called extreme, but that was in my uh, very short rollerblading phase.
2: Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> but it they, they didn't
0: have an E at the beginning. I'm curious. Sure right, different. right. It's just X dash tream Yeah.
1: Yeah. Lightning wow. Matt, they called yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. That was when Matt wore hypercolor T-shirts. Drink well. a lot of surge.
0: <laughs> I was the only person on Twitter in 1997. It was very lonely. <laughs> well,
1: I would say I have maybe when my Spotify Wrapped came out and my number one genre was musical theater. I yeah. might have been called an extremist in that respect. Okay, but only okay. in my love for musical theater as a Spotify
2: genre. Absolutely. Well, look, we don't want our audience to think that we cherry-pick data. I mean, yeah, none of us have been accused of fascism. Aside from an abiding love of Sondheim, none of us have been accused of extremism. But I'm, I'm on a level with you, gentlemen. I've had many people tell me, Jed, you're the worst. So that ah. one... That, that has happened. I don't think it was in connection in any way to my religious beliefs. It may have been because I insisted we needed Taco Bell at three in the morning.
0: But technically, <laughs> they did tell me I was the worst.
2: And they were not wrong.
0: Well, I think that's an important, important <laughs> distinction, an important linkage here, Jed. Because I have certainly had people say, hey, that thing you're doing is awful. Stop it.
1: <laughs> well, my question, Jed, is... Did you seize all control and make sure that everyone eat at Taco Bell
2: at three in the morning? Dude, I gotta be honest, it's a great question. Not only did I not do that, the thought to do that did not occur to me. <laughs> I was cool with getting my Chilito and my Baja Blast and just just vibing <laughs> on my own, man, letting the world right. turn on without me.
0: Yeah. You sure they didn't just hate your piety? It couldn't be that you were doing something that was unpleasant and other people, you were like, you know, come on. No, it's a gordita. It's got, like, protein and stuff. You'll be fine. (laughs) They're like, I don't want to do that. Please stop trying to make me do that thing I don't want to do. And you're like, why do you hate my faith so much?
2: (laughs) Jed, I think you're being persecuted. Dude, I think I am, man. Well, actually, let me check before I agree to that. If I say that I – would I be in some way entitled to financial compensation? Because if there is a way to monetize this, <laughs>
0: I am just, I'm just saying that depends. Are you willing to do nothing but whine about how you've been canceled on the internet for fourteen hours a day?
2: Ah, that's that's. I got to be honest, that's more effort than I've got in me,
0: as ever. I uh, I go back to uh, uh, Italian writer Umberto echoes very very useful essay Er Fascism" because fascism is a little yes. hard to nail down. Um, so we have, uh, he puts top 14 things. Let's, let's run through, not, we won't do all 14, but just a couple of checklists. And you see, is there something that being a weirdo American evangelical might have some overlap here? Number one, culture of tradition mm. Two, rejection uh. of modernism. Mm. Disagreement is treason. <laughs> Fear of no. difference. Okay. Wow. Appeal to a frustrated middle class. Yeah. Obsession with a plot. Ooh. Oh. Life is permanent warfare.
2: Okay.
0: okay. You've probably never heard that preached out of your pulpit on Sunday. If there's some kind of, I don't know, spiritual or cultural war going on. There sure. must be one. Selective populism. The people hmm. conceived monolithically have a common will distinct from its to the viewpoint of any individual, but only some people.
2: Ah, yes. <laughs> Only mm-hmm. the right people.
0: <laughs> so I can certainly see how just, you know, living your life under the tenets of Jesus of Nazareth with the forgiveness and the the caring for the poor and looking after the downtrodden. And
1: In the outreach to the outsider.
0: Absolutely. The radical egalitarianism uh, towards both foreigners, women, the poor, especially people who get called out. Uh, would lead to people thinking you overlap with ideas of contempt for the weak, embracing a cult of death. Pacifism is trafficking with the enemy. Ooh. It's probably the very Christian things you're doing that are confusing people.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so you're a person who follows the Prince of Peace, and yes, peace. Pacifism is what? once
0: we win the culture war, there'll be so much peace.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Once we have all of the people bound up under one thing, all wrapped up together under the control of one thing, then we'll have peace. Ah. Yeah.
2: That's something we can all enjoy. (laughs) All of us.
0: (laughs) That is... Absolutely right. Well, to that point, I want to bring up one more, and this may be the most unhinged thing I've seen on the internet recently. Um, wow, that's wow. S-
2: strong praise.
0: And it was around the time of the, uh, the la- latest spate of, well, uh, awful, awful Supreme Court decisions that, again, are pe- if you th- find a theme in people saying, we're just being Christian, and people saying, your Christianity seems a lot like fascism, that's confusing. Then, you know, that's there. But uh, a dude went to the Twitters. And he tweeted, okay. uh, think about it. Think about this. If I had seven or eight kids and the atheist secularist has two, not only do I have a four to one advantage, but then one of my kids converts one of his and now it's nine to one. Then all of our kids have four kids and his kid has two. I baptize them all and it's 36 to his two. 34 net. Okay.
2: wow, dude.
0: And this has been wackadoo math with some dude on Twitter who was, and this may be the most offensive part of this whole thing, um, quote tweeting his own tweet, which said just thinking today about how, about the, how inevitable the church's victory is. We're actually going to win my guys way too. I can tell by his hairline in the picture, way too old to be using the term my guys, by the way. Um, And honestly, if Christians started having four plus kids, we could win by the end of the century. I just want to first. Oh gosh, we have to take time to laugh. What do you mean when? (laughs)
1: Um, I'm reminded of a a prayer meeting I went to at our church uh, last year, and and some some folks around my age are talking about their their children and just how. Just how unpredictable kids and what they believe and what they think and how they behave and what parenting is and how difficult the whole business is and everything. And over this is before the prayer meeting kicks off. And Tina Job, who is the wife of my boss, our, our pastor, is sitting over the, on the side, literally just she's knitting. Okay, she's, so just picture a, a lady in her mid sixties knitting with the with the reading glasses on the on the bridge of her nose and. And all these parents are talking about how hard it is to, you know, just these kids and do they, are are we, are we teaching them the right things and do they care about it and their behavior and the whole thing and uh, Christianity and beliefs and faith and the whole deal. And Tina's just been listening to 15 minutes of this. And then at a certain point, (laughs) she looks over the top of the glasses in mid knit and says, you know, everyone, Christianity is not genetic. And then just keeps on knitting.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's all just let uh, uh, the the Dowager Countess of this whole thing tell us how it really is. Because it's not math, my man. My guy.
0: If you have four kids, and your, your, your way that Christianity is going to win, and again, I have a lot of questions about what you mean by that. Yep. Considering it can apparently be done by the end of the century. And it involves one population being larger than the other population, but so that's huh. all kinds of interesting. Um, none of your kids are going to be Christian when they leave your house. Right. If this is the thing, you your conversion Christianity is tweeting this on the internet, they're going to run very far from anything you taught them.
1: Also, this guy, like, I, I love that he just drops in there, I baptize them all. <laughs> sure, That's
0: the only way it counts. <laughs>
1: Sure. Of course you do, buddy.
0: I'm no kind of
2: Bible scholar, but in in the spirit of, you know, we're going to win my guys. Am am I saying that right? Am I, am I using the hip slang properly there?
0: More right than he did.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, This is John 1836. Now this is Jesus talking. Now I don't, we may want to clarify because I think it's how many kids
0: did he have before I listened to what he had to say? (laughs) Ah, nah, okay, let's
2: review a few facts. Not only did he not have children, he also was homeless and frequently in trouble with uh, the legal profession. So, Sounds like right? this guy
0: needs to get his stuff together.
2: This, this is what I'm saying, but this is a comment from Jesus. You might have heard of him. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. Just... Uh. Something to think about on the subject of winning. Jed doesn't care about winning at all. I I don't
1: for that exact reason.
0: (laughs) Well, we 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 bash this gentleman, and rightly so, because again, (laughs) that's a crazy thing to say. He deserved it. Again, I don't need to go too hard. Anyone who cares for your children will when they when they are 21 and go to their previous youth pastor or young life leader or whatever and say, I don't know if I can do this Christian thing because my dad, that person who loves them and believes the gospel, look them in the face and go, yeah, I get that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That seems yeah.
0: like an important part in your health, in your health. So we've, we've said this and it's very true, but now I want to, uh, I want to say one thing positive about this person because I went to, to search for them on the Twitters because this is where the statement was put because the to uh, one of the guys points there, the baptism thing is very funny because we, I have a running theory that if you get reformed bro enough, you basically loop back around to like super traditional Catholicism. Yep. Cause clearly one part in that was, uh, and then I'll baptize them and they'll officially be in the count, which is pretty Catholic way to think about things. Right. Um, so I went to find, I went, typed in his username, find him on Twitter to see if he had a, uh, cause a certain type of gentleman who types a certain type of uh, thing on the Twitter loves to put their denominational identification front and center. And when I go to his username on Twitter, I find no account. Something went wrong. Uh Aha. So he apparently nuked his whole Twitter account after posting this, which is the right move. And also there's a certain poet poetics to, if you type his name in the only see the only words you see on Twitter are something went wrong. Try again. (laughs) (laughs) Like Twitter's giving both you and him some advice.
2: Perhaps the two most important words in the English language, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> when we hit the wisdom of Sideshow Rahim, yeah, so uh, I think wow. that is the perfect moment to declare emergency off. Impressive. We're, we're going to jump in to our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get touch this, or you can scroll down to your episode description. Click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says... I've been discussing faith matters with a friend who's really getting deeper in the faith right now, and that's awesome. Some of their sources seem a bit wonky, like the names appear that I have negative references to. I also know from my own experience that how easy it is to be drawn in by something that looks good, but discreetly adds some weird elements. Is there a good way to navigate this? A very cool question, and certainly uh, a situation that all three of your uh, beloved Say That hosts have found themselves in, many, many, many times over the years. So with that in mind, Jed, where would we start off?
2: It's a great question. Uh, we appreciate it. Appreciate your concern for your friend. We appreciate your writing in. I don't know that there's a single good, um, will fix it answer to this question. I think it's complicated. Um, so, but let me give you at least some coordinates. I think one thing that's important to look at is you're saying, you know, we're discussing matters. Is this person looking for you to be in a mentoring capacity to them? is is that the nature of the relationship that you're having uh because if it's not it probably borders on weird for you to kind of try and weigh in and tell them what to read and what not to read um you know i mean I, I get the impulse i really do but um you know it it you know if if you want to look at hobbies for a second like i like to cook and if i had someone that told me i forbid you from reading the following cookbooks like i'd i'd feel pretty weird <laughs> about that so Um, again, I get the impulse. I truly do, but I think it is worth looking. What's the nature of your relationship? Like, are, are, are they looking for you to weigh in on this stuff? The other thing that needs to be asked here is how you said, uh, I want to use your exact wording. Some of their sources seem a bit wonky. So my question back to you is how wonky are we talking about? Cause, um, you know, if, if you're saying, you know, um, you know, he's, he's reading GK Chesterton and, you know, he had some weird stuff to say about a few things that's one thing It's like, I mean, he's reading Anton LaVey and says, you know, I, I have thoughts, concerns. That's, that's another thing. Like all, all wonk is not created equal. So, <laughs> um, we, we probably do want to be aware of that. And I'm about to present you with, with two kind of mirror ideas that are basically me posing a problem and I don't have a solution for you. Um, but I, I pose it uh, as an exercise for the listener. So, uh, you know, Probably the thing professionally I know the most about is music. And so within music, here's what I can tell you. Plenty of really awful people had some very smart thoughts about music. There are plenty of people who I would never let them house sit for me. I would never uh, meet up with them. I would never want my nephews or nieces to be around them. But they had some really smart thoughts about music. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with the fact that, for example, um, Wagner was an incredible composer and also an awful human being. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know what that means. I, I, don't, I can't tell you what to do with that, but I can tell you that part of living, at least in, in the part of history that we live in, is figuring out how to make peace with the fact that there are people who were just awful, but also, at least in their field of endeavor, had some interesting ideas, maybe some useful ideas. Here's the mirror uh, concept is – there's plenty of people who are mostly right and have some stuff they're way wrong about, even in the midst of that. Um, you're never, ever in your life going to meet anybody who's got it all figured out, um, who they, they just they know how it goes down in, in every single arena that 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 doesn't exist. So we are left in this um, really weird, hard to navigate space of some awful people actually still do have some useful ideas. Some really great people still have some really ill-advised ideas, and my buddy may or may not be looking for me to weigh in on what they're reading or watching or viewing or listening to, even regardless of all of that. So where does that leave us? I think the thing that it leaves us with is two things that I would point to. The most important one by far is humility. That is the most important one. You do not have the answers, and neither do I. God alone has the answers. And, and one of—I'll tell you, this is nerdy, but one of my favorite things about the Bible, by far, are several places where it makes it clear there is an answer, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. Because it means for all of us we can know for sure we don't have the answers. Jesus talks about the literal end of the world. He says, hey, I don't know when it is. Only the Father knows when it is. There's moments in the book of Job where people ask really important questions, and God's basic response is, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. Here are things I'd like to talk about instead. This actually comes up a lot in the Bible. We are being asked to grapple with a mystery. We're being asked to deal with stuff for which we do not have all the answers, and the right posture given that is humility. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. And that leads us to, it's, it's a, a weird way to put it, but the older that I get, I to think, I'm, I'm, think I more understand what Paul meant, the idea of living out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to try and walk with my Savior. I'm going to try and love people the best that I can. I'm going to try and serve people uh, where and how I can. But I am not under any delusions that I've got it all figured out or that I could tell someone else how to have it all figured out. And I'm going to have to live in that space of uncertainty one day at a time. I am certain that's not the answer you were looking for. I am sorry for that. That's the best answer I have to give you. I hope it is useful.
0: Excellent place to start off and continuing a 500 plus episode streak of never giving the person writing in the answer they were looking for. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel very safe in saying we have never done that. And it's probably one of the strengths of the show we've got going on here. Um, Lee, I, I love where ends, I love the whole answer. But I love where it ends there with humility because one of the ways I think practically that humility is going to play out is with some timing, letting people come to things, uh, in their own time, taking a right. lot more time than maybe you as the person who is a little further along thinks is necessary. Uh, one thing I think, We all as people who've worked in ministry and have given a lot of advice and had a lot of these conversations over the years have probably done wrong ourselves and certainly counseled younger people against trying to do is there's this idea of, well, I figured out X, Y, and Z the hard way. So what I'm going to do is tell everyone that that's stupid and then they won't do it. And then it'll be like skipping them levels, which (laughs) sounds so smart every time you say it. And I don't think I've ever seen it work yet that way because people kind of have to figure things out on their own to some extent. And there's some overlap here with, with parenting and with being married to someone and caring for someone and not wanting them to have very avoidable problems and pains. But how do we balance that out with, you do have to respect people enough to let them figure stuff out the way you figured it out sometimes. Right?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right, man. I mean, it's funny because I feel like, the, the wisdom that I, if it's wisdom, the wisdom that I would bring into answering this question is my own experience of having, you know, um, having freaked out on people who were reading the wrong thing and telling them, don't do it. That's bad. Um, and then making them feel bad because they didn't know something, making them feel new when they weren't all that new or making them feel like they were wrong. Um, And it's exactly what you're saying. It's the easiest thing in the world is, is to make is, is to think inside your own head. um, I learned this the hard way. You don't have to learn it the hard way. You can learn it the easy way. I'll just tell you um, how to skip the steps, but people don't learn that way. And people don't necessarily want you to tell them the thing. The thing that, you know, especially when I was young, um, I had a gigantic mixture of a lack of exactly what Jeb was talking about, a lack of any humility, and um, and a desire to, um, a, which I thought it was a kind of a pure desire, to help people along the way. Let me tell you why so-and-so is wrong or bad. Um, here's what I've learned. The thing that I would say to myself if I could go back is, I would just tell myself um, in, through my own experience, hey, relax, slow down, and trust in something else. I think my, my own mindset at the time was I have to protect this person from being, um, f- from being you know, tainted by something that's bad or wrong. The truth was that if they read it, um, they might have some funky ideas um they we might see a couple of things differently but um our friendship in every single one of those cases lasts longer than those ideas or that book i think that's the number 1 thing i would go back and tell myself is if you would just trust it your relationship with that person is going to hang around and last longer than the ideas that you're afraid of and i and that would be my number one piece of advice is out of my own experience, longer than that podcast episode you're afraid of, longer than that album that, you, that freaks you out, longer than that blog post or that book or that sermon or whatever, um, trust in the honest-to-goodness nature of your friendship with that person to outlast whatever it is you're afraid of in some weird or bad teaching. Ask good questions of your friend and listen to what they say. Just let it play out and let your friendship be the thing that's going to outlast that weird or bad teaching.
0: I think that's a fantastic point and ties in exactly to what Joe was saying there. And again, we will double down because we do apologize. Notice happens. We we are very aware that is not the answer you wanted. Yep. Not the answer we want to give <laughs> as Lee points out. It's not the answer we wanted. And it's probably an answer we all ignored at different points in our lives. And in a weird way, we're also doing the thing that we're uh, warning you against, but uh, you asked. So we're trying to uh, take uh-huh. where we really fell down and had some uh, negative consequences and bounce that around you. The, the thing I'll add to the end of this is kind of going back to one of the things where Jed started us, which is saying, we also have to have a strong sensor proportion here um, because as Lee points out, Odds are that crappy book, you know, whatever it is, Joel Osteen or TD Jakes or whatever introductory Christianity book someone's reading, yeah, there's some very harmful ideas in there. Um, but there's some stuff that's fine. Um are the harmful ideas necessarily gonna take root? Not really. Now, if they start going to a wanting to tell you about their awesome church where they passed a prosperity bucket and how they heard the sermon about how they're gonna plant a seed of faith and God's going to make them rich. Now we have a larger problem that warrants maybe a larger response than you read a book by someone who I know is, has some bogus ideas. Cause here here's to go back to Lee's very good point. No one has ever onboarded a hundred percent of what's in a book they read. Yeah. There's a, you know, we all come to, especially in this kind of idea of we're looking for uh, answers. If we're looking for kind of, a way to think about things. We all come to books and podcasts and sermons and all that stuff with our own baggage. We have our own thing we're searching to find out of it. Um, I think we have all had the experience of either preaching a sermon or writing a song or having a conversation with someone, and they took something very positive out of it that we know we didn't say.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like,
0: oh, that part about how I just need to like, just need to ask forgiveness and keep my head up. That really meant a lot to me. You're like, I'm glad that meant a lot to you. You preach that sermon to yourself. Cause I didn't say that. We do have to have a sense of proportion of, is this mostly harmless? Is this in, is this balance? Is there harm, more harm in this than the good in, they are on this journey and seeking uh, to grow. And I think I have found, I, I think uh, generally back me on this. Most of found you actually have to have a pretty harmful idea. That's a little pretty far along for it to be worse than the idea that you are engaging with these ideas and trying to figure things out for yourself is good. Um, You can certainly tip over that balance. Don't get me wrong, but um, there's, there's a lot of positive, even if someone's looking to source that maybe we find a bit wonky. The other thing I would point out about this is if you are a male person, particularly uh, there may be a, an idea that you are going to fight their bad facts with good facts and the bad ideas they find in these books with good ideas that will counter them. And that is not a great strategy, particularly on its own. Um, again, odds are someone is reading something, looking for something, moving on something. If it, if it clicks with them, it's probably because of how it makes them feel about themselves, about their past, about God, about the future. Um, so to kind of try to throw cold water on that is almost never a great idea. Um, we've quoted Maya Angelou in several times on this show, and this is one of my favorite quotes, which I've been misattributing to, to someone else for years. So I apologize to the estate of Maya Angelou and will seek to do better in the future. But I think it's, it's really interesting and, and great summation where she says, people will forget what you said. People f- will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Someone comes to you. Is that what you can have? And you can have that conversation of, well, you know, I read that book and I really liked it, but I read this other thing that made me think about it in a different way. Or I've I seen people try that and I think it's actually been harmful, but I totally understand. that. The thing you probably want to focus on in that conversation, if you need to have it more than you think you need to, is how are you making the person you're having this conversation with feel?
1: Excellent. Yeah.
0: Are you making them feel like, you're lecturing them like you're calling them stupid, like you're punishing them for looking into and being curious about this. Cause all that will be super unhelpful. Even if the thing you use, things you're saying are correct. If someone read something, even if it's terrible, imagine someone who watches a, a movie that is objectively terrible. Just it's awful. Everyone agrees. It's got 0% of Rotten Tomatoes, but they say, you know, I, I just thought that was great. And it just, man, it made me, I just laughed so hard. You will not win any points with them by pointing out all the ways in which the thing they liked was terrible. That is not <laughs> yeah. a way to connect with people. There's a way to have that conversation, but you do want to really focus on, is this making, some, is this, making this person feel judged or is it making them feel celebrated? Are we really encouraging them sending these ideas? Are we excited that they're finding things out? There's a way to do it If you do need to have that conversation and it's going to focus, I think a lot more than people who haven't had to do that realize in how you make this person feel for coming to you with this conversation. And we know that you, you as a listener to the show have the ability to be positive, to be encouraging. I didn't mean to quote the K love uh, motto there, but it holds in this particular situation. Wow. I really, that's going to haunt me for a long time. Um, You have the ability to have a positive attitude and to not to be discouraging, I'm not going to do it a second time. Um, you can do that. It's a worthwhile thing of doing it. And you're, it's a very cool impulse you have to want this person to grow and have a cool journey. And that's really what you want to bring to that conversation.
1: Matt, I just had the thought that if another Christian podcast did what you just did, we would probably make an emergency out of it.
0: Very rightly <laughs> so. Well, we, we've, we've tried emergence deception before. I'm not sure we can emergency our own show, but that was, that's going to lead to a personal crisis in my own life. Just everyone be ah. comfortable with that. So we're going to move on to our next question here. Hopefully I don't quote like LifeWay accidentally or something. Who knows what the rest of the episode holds. Question number two comes in and says, my friend and I had a discussion about whether things can be stored or felt through physical things. Spiritual things can be stored or felt through physical things or songs, like the way you feel when you enter a room where people have been praying. For an example, if an instrumental song has been recorded with occult connotations, in my view, those things are neutral until I give them a connotation. But that what's the deal with these things? This, what started this conversation was a sermon. I was sent where a guy claimed all rock music is occult. Ooh. As a longtime metalhead, I have other suggestions as to what music is evil, and it includes ice cream vans, children's songs, and elevators. <laughs> fair, fair. There is an ice cream van that drove through the neighborhood where we used to have the bridge, which played uh, Turkey in the Straw at such an ear-splitting volume, you could hear it 10 miles away. And that yeah. was the single uh, darkest energy I've ever felt while listening <laughs> to music. So there's something wow. aside for that. Um, so uh, uh, another very cool question. Um that I really like, and you know, obviously, uh, Jed, I'd love you. get you to start us off. And obviously, yeah, we, we've talked about this before, uh, metal, certain types of music do not nerve jam. They're yeah. not of the occult. Well, some of it is really trying to, uh, convince you it's of the occult. And it is often made by, uh, people who were 16 year old British nerds at the time. Sorry, Jimmy page. You're not scary. You're a very good guitar <laughs> player, but you're not scary. No one with their, uh, no one with their velour shirt unbuttoned to their navel. Actually it makes me think they had the forces of darkness behind them. But I do think it is a very cool idea of this. You know, things don't have connotations until we put connotations to them. But there's a very, I think there's a very interesting conversation to be had around what those connotations are, what people think they are, what we bring to those conversations. Where would we start that off?
2: These are great questions, man. Well, I'd like to start with the sermon that you listen listen to, and I actually have a, a thought for the sermon giver. So. Anthropologists almost universally agree that the earliest faith systems on planet earth are what is commonly referred to as animism. And so the belief that that basically everything has a spiritual quality, that that rocks have a spirit and trees have a spirit and, and rivers have a spirit. Um, and um, by the standards of today, those would definitely be seen as, as pagan and, and occult forms of spirituality. Um, those belief systems definitely predate Christianity. Now here's the other thing about um religious traditions that uh, predate recorded history is, by definition, uh, all of their communication was oral. It was all oral communication because writing hadn't been invented yet, so that was the only way. So there would have been, you know, kind of a a proto-form of sermon that would occur in all of these forms of spirituality in order to do teaching and and tell people how, you know, how it works and, and what's expected of them. So the key thing for the sermon giver is that, Animist belief systems do predate Christianity by a lot, and they incorporated proto-sermons, therefore all sermons are occult. All sermons oh, everywhere no. are occult. all of them. Yeah, sermons are the devil. That's, that's the takeaway. I nice. just used your logic. We landed on sermons are the devil. It sounds pretty silly when I say it, doesn't it?
0: Well, I now. think that depends on how many hour-long sermons someone's been forced to sit through <laughs> in their life. <laughs>
2: Here's the thing I really want you to think about that I think is a good thing to to have in in your back pocket is not only do you have the right to reject what someone says, you have the right to reject the whole nature of their inquiry mm. and that's actually the problem that you're dealing with here It's not just that the uh, oh metal music is bad that that's that's nakedly false i mean that's that's a a silly idea, but more important than that the thought processes that led us to that point are wrong and i think that we need to give ourselves permission to start digging a bit deeper on things where we can say it's not just that your conclusion is wrong your observations and and uh, logic along the way those were wrong too because that's definitely what you are dealing with here let's consider a very 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 high level view for a second if we grant the idea that we are not, in a philosophical sense, true materialists, as in we believe in nothing but the physical. If we say on some level, you know, most people believe in something spiritual, which is generally speaking true. One of the first things that we get into is, well, do we know what the rules are? Because that's actually, if you can dig it, that's the nature of your question. It's a debate about what are the rules about how spiritual things work. But you're kind of trying to apply a post-Enlightenment Western scientific revolution approach to understanding to things that are beyond that. You are trying to apply a, a laboratory perspective to things that are ineffable, mysterious, and in many ways inexpressible. Right. That, that's what we're attempting to do here. And to go back to our previous question, the Bible embraces mystery. The Bible embraces that there are things we don't know and can't see and won't know that there are things beyond us. And actually, dude, if you can dig it, I have a little bit of a background in the sciences. People that are truly world-class scientists, particularly when you get into things like physics, one of the things that they will tell you is the best distillations that we can come up with of how the world works are math that we don't understand. We know that this is the right math and we know that it is true. We don't know what it means. The best (laughs) distillations of the physical world, not anything spiritual, of the physical world is math that we don't actually understand except that we've done the math and we're pretty sure it has to be the right way to go. So the idea that we could take the tools – and they're just tools, man. The idea that we could take the tools of the scientific revolution and point those at spirituality and that would tell us what does and doesn't work and what is and isn't okay, man, that's a silly idea. And that's what takes us back to the idea of it's not just that dude's wrong about metal because that's – dude, what are we even talking about here? Your, your whole perspective is wrong, dude. Your, your whole uh, paradigm mm-hmm. is wrong. The, the place that you are coming from here is wrong. In those rare moments where you're right, you're only right by accident. I want you to remember that. I want you to think about that. There are people who when they're right, they're only right by accident. And I'm going to land by ripping off a line wow. that I learned from Matt King. Only a fool has a fool's argument. That's what you're being invited to here. You're being invited to a false argument. Only a fool has a false argument. Walk away. There are infinitely better things to think, to do, to work on, to read about than any of this noise. And you deserve better.
0: That's a really great point. It is uh, always important when someone is trying to uh, make you feel uh, afraid of particularly uh, metal music, they want you to be afraid of KISS. <laughs> KISS is for a 50-year-old gentlemen who put on makeup, one of them to look like a kitty cat and put on their six years platform heels and go play for uh, crowds of drunk boomers. Yeah. If yeah. your v- religious and spiritual vision of the world is threatened by that, I don't think I want to share it with you. Yep. <laughs> so that said, um, Lee, what, what I think Jed started off in a really good place. What would have to add to that?
1: Uh, it, it's, I mean, I completely and utterly agree with all of it, and, and not a whole lot needs to be said. Um, these guys are exactly right. There, Unfortunately, there are church people who simply want you to be afraid, and they yeah. want you to be afraid because they want to control what you experience. They want to be the arbiters of what's right, what's wrong, and what people do because it gives them control. I want to read a Bible verse to you that I think will— I I think it could be a a good place for us to take this. Um, Jed already said everything that needed to be said, but, but let's turn to the Bible for a second. This is the Apostle Paul in his letter to a dude named Titus, where he says in the first chapter, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Ah! Um, you know, Paul ends up talking about that guy the, that you heard a sermon from. You know, they, 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 they won't let you enjoy anything. That, you know, but he starts the whole argument off by saying something really cool, which is, to the pure, all things are pure. What he means when he says that to you is, when you have a heart that is just a wide open heart, that just honestly, I want to keep an open mind and an open heart, and I want to walk with God, and I want to hear from God and follow God, you can get something cool and good out of anything. It doesn't matter if somebody's afraid of it. It doesn't matter if somebody thinks it's weird. Let me give you a a stupid example of this. One of the... This this may be qualitative. I I get that it's a subjective statement, but it may be objective in some ways. One of the dumbest movies that was ever made was a movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) It's one of the dumbest pieces of cinema ever made. It's absolutely ludicrous in every way. Um, When I was in middle school, I loved that movie. Um, I showed it to my children. (laughs) You know, I was probably like 40. I showed it to my kids and Christy and I have this thing where we'll show the kids a, a movie from our childhood and and like, and, and we'll, you know, we remember it being amazing and sometimes it lives up and sometimes it doesn't. But we're watching this movie and it's so dumb and the kids kind of enjoyed it and they kind of thought it was stupid. But this incredibly stupid movie has this one theme and, and, and statement that I have since used with the kids in their relationships with each other, which is, be excellent to each other. And this dumb movie has just a great way of saying, like, let's treat each other with kindness. But it says it so beautifully. Be excellent to each other. Like, to the pure, all things are pure. You can take the dumbest movie that's ever been made and find something that is so perfectly stated be excellent to each other. Like the way I want to treat you is not just, not just, I want to be good or fair or nice or polite. I want to treat you with excellence because you have dignity and you're a person. Now, I don't know who wrote Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. For some reason it has Keanu Reeves. Like, it's just a ridiculous <laughs> movie. Okay. But like, but be excellent with, it, with each other is an incredible thing. And if more people would take that as their mantra, we would live in a better world. Um, I'll take another example. Jed one time told me when we first became friends that one of the best Christian movies he's ever seen was a movie called Warm Bodies, which was not written by a Christian, not supposed to be a Christian movie, but was one of the best descriptions of what happens when a person believes the message of the good news, that they are loved, and how they come back to life because someone loved them. And it's, and that's because what Paul said in his letter to Titus is true. To the pure, all things are pure. You cannot p- paint an entire genre of art or music with one brush and say it's bad. Because the truth is, is that when your heart is open and you're trying to follow God with good intention, God will use anything to speak to you. He will have something cool to say to you in a, in a cheeseburger, in, a, in somebody's mown lawn, in the design of an engine, in, 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 a, in a dumb game show or a silly movie. Like God can, <laughs> God can take anything and, and, and pull some good thing out of it to make the world a better place because to the pure, all things are pure. Um, Jed's exactly right. You don't have to engage this crap, but I would take it a step further and say, as a mark of protest and despite this sermon— have an open heart and find whatever God wants to show you that's beautiful and cool and as much stuff as you could possibly enjoy. Whether that be a bag of M&Ms or like a really cool album that you heard that somebody turned you on to or just like the design in somebody's shirt that you passed in an aisle in Walmart. Just enjoy as much stuff as possible in as many ways as possible with a wide open heart because to the pure, all things are pure.
0: Absolutely right. Beautifully, beautifully put. Um, I went to IMDb and looked up who wrote uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Thank you. Because, um, you know, there's one guy, He wrote, there's two guys. One of them wrote a couple other things. He wrote, he's got it written by credit on Men in Black, so like that. But the other one, uh, a gentleman named Chris Matheson, if you click on his IMDb, uh, the four things he is known for are the three Bill and Ted movies and uh, 90s uh, Walt Disney classic a goofy movie. And wow. I would submit uh-huh. that to quote a friend of uh, Lee and I, uh, this man's resume, nothing but bangers. <laughs> That's a legacy. I just want to say that and give Mr. Madison. Be excellent
1: to each other, guys.
0: Absolutely. And party on. Well, and to <laughs> a, a, yeah. For, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, the, the end is a, a band of historical fixtures, including, I believe Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Socrates, which they pronounce Socrates, and Billy uh, the kid. A, a Blinken uh, joining them on stage in a rock band. And all the costumes look like a middle school level production. Isn't George Carlin in that movie He is he plays the, uh, the time traveling <laughs> guy with, I think there's a guitar involved is got your phone booth. It's the whole, yeah, thing. He's, whole he's, thing.
1: He's kind of the Merlin figure.
0: Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. 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 The sweariest Merlin there ever was. <laughs> That might be can't say time travel. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now imagining someone who was introduced to Keanu Reeves, the John Wick movies and goes back and watches Bill and Ted and how just very confused they must be. Yeah. But uh, back to the point, um, I will uh, a lot of what it sounds like. I think what a lot of people talk about spiritual. Oh, there's a dark, whatever. Again, as, as these guys have pointed out very well, a lot of what they're talking about is either just totally. Uh, goofy off the wall, you know, it's, it's heavy metal or it's a horror movie or something that on the face of it's pretty, pretty goofy. If you could see it in the light of day, there's a reason that, you know, all those things are done in very dark lighting to look menacing. Cause if you turn the lights on, it's, it's five guys in makeup with a uh, very complicated guitar rigs trying to be scary. Yep. But so what you're even talking about is just kind of some goofiness or, um, People who are making art to get a feeling out of you. Right. Heavy metal isn't doesn't make you feel unsettled because there are dark forces behind it. It's because in ways I can't explain, but I'm sure given the time Lee or Jed could, it is written with melodies and harmonies and in keys and instrumentation to make you feel unsettled because it's supposed to be scary. The flip side of that is if you walk into a place that's playing like kind of contemporary worship music. There's nothing inherently holy about that. It's just instrum. It's just written and arranged to elicit positive feelings. Right now, if we acknowledge that, that's cool. You know, you want to. If you get up and drag yourself to church at eleven o'clock in the morning, you probably want to hear something happy. You're here to be encouraged. You want, uh, you know, you want music in a major key. You're not there to hear a dirge, probably, which is great. <laughs> but where we can get into problems on the other side of kind of what we've been talking about in this. And so far in this question is the idea that because something gives you a certain kind of flittery feeling that it's very spiritual. And that's how we know the spirit is in this room because we nah man, the songs isn't a major key. That's fine,
1: <laughs> dude. I'm, I'm sorry to cut in Matt, but this is the moment where uh, we we know that Jed and I grew up in church and Matt didn't because the original, Melody of Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. There's nothing more metal than that. Yeah. Oh, the (laughs) deep, deep love of. Like, that would really, really work with some, you know, Black Sabbath or something like that.
0: Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Kind of to the Keanu thing, a lot of hymns I got introduced to, I got introduced by Lee's arrangement of them. Which are all very rearrangement, <laughs> yeah. yeah, very positive. Very oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus being a great one. We played on the show before, and then I occasionally go on Spotify and find the original. Original. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, no wonder all these people hated church growing up. This stuff is <laughs> yeah, awful. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Why? Why would you do this to people in the morning? What is going on here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were British, Matt.
0: That's very. And now fair. you got it. Well, I will give one last example because these both guys these guys both have some great work, of a thing that is if that someone might, might forget about. But it is if you look at it in the context and the way it works. So one of my kind of a, a song equivalent to me of the warm bodies and that kind of stuff is a song by a band called the Mountain Goats called the best ever death metal band out of Denton. The bridge of which is just the lead singer screaming hail Satan over and over again. The song is one of, in the guy who wrote it is Christian. Uh, he, I think he wavers a little bit on that title, but he wrote, has written multiple, song, multiple albums that are just Bible, song, Bible verses. Um, but it is a such a beautiful song about the downtrodden and empathizing with people who need grace and what it is to be a wounded person who's trying to find some measure of purpose and connection in life and what happens when you are denied that. And what happens sometimes you end up screaming, hail Satan, not because Satan is a cool guy who you think is going to do dark magic for you because you're in a very sad place and you're trying to get a reaction out of someone. Mm. We cannot overstate those things when it comes to art stuff. So a lot of times art, if it gives you a feeling that just means it's trying to give you that feeling. The other side of this for people, Oh, there's a really dark energy is places that are just architecturally awful. Like, all all three of us have been in uh, jails and prisons, and it feels bad in those places. That's probably not because there's a dark spiritual energy. It's because they're designed to make people feel bad. Yeah. And when you combine that, and this is, you know, they do like haunted house tours. It's an old abandoned mental hospital. Like, no. You know, terrible things happen to people here, so you have that in your mind. And again, yeah. it is what's literally called hostile architecture. It's it's having the desired effect. You, we can over spiritualize things, both coming and going, in a way that's not incredibly helpful. And the weird thing about that is that, in a lot of a lot of these examples we've given, that over spiritualization of those aesthetic things can lead to us not appreciating the spirituality and the spiritual mention of things we encounter in a more everyday way and the interactions we have, which I think is also uh, something that we can be missing out on if we get too focused on these kind of things here. we Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I've made a lot of positive changes, but I feel like some people, my family, especially still only see me as the old me. That's really frustrating. And I don't know what I can do. Another great question. And Jed, where would you take that one?
2: I'm sorry, man. That sucks. I'm sorry. You're dealing with that. Um, if it's any comfort to you, um, every single one of us on this podcast know what that feels like. So, yep. um, people see what they choose to see. That's bottom line. Uh, and, and they choose to see it, whether it's there or not, that's really important to know. People choose to see what they, uh, people see what they choose to see. They believe the stories that please them to believe that that's part of why propaganda is effective Is you're telling people stories that they kind of want to be true. And then yeah. you say, hey, check it out, it's true. And be like, heck yeah, it is. People believe the stories that that please them to believe. And I think the following, man, it's not fun. And if these thoughts haven't crossed your brain before, I'm really sorry to be the person to introduce them, but here we are. Is there a chance that your family doesn't want to see the new you? Mm-hmm. And is maybe that's because they kind of like lording over you how you used to be? Or maybe if you've made a lot of positive changes and improved yourself, maybe that not only takes away their ability to Lord things over you, but maybe they need to step up their game and improve themselves as human beings or they're kind of the low person on the totem pole in the family. Hmm. I think it's worth you looking at those and and considering those. If it's any comfort, I, I can tell you amongst my blood relations I have people who have basically convinced themselves I'm not really a Christian and I have really weirdly, I have some family members who have basically decided I don't actually really play the guitar. Um, I know that like, that sounds like it can't be true. I promise you that that is true.
0: So, um, do they think the recordings are like some kind of deep fake situation? I think they've just scrubbed them from their memories, man. Okay. like, but this, I, it's absurd, and I
2: bring it up to drive home. People see what they choose to see. They believe the stories they choose to believe. Like, I'm not claiming I'm a great guitar player, but I definitely play it. Like, and and have quite quite a bit, you know, uh, amps and everything, man. Um, so what do you do? Again, I want to encourage you to think about maybe what some of the motivations might be for, for why... They're choosing to not see things that are obviously true, like playing the guitar. But once you've gotten to think about that for a while, and you can't think about it for a super long time, because it's just going to bum you out. That's one we're going to need to kind of come back to a little bit at a time for a while. I want to mention a concept, and if it's new to you, this one is good. So I'm glad to be the one to introduce this to you. And that's the idea of chosen family. As we get older, for most of us, family is not Strictly speaking, the people that we have a blood relation to. Family is the people we choose to build relationships with. Family is the people we choose to build a depth of connection with and to share our lives with. And dude, chosen family is where it's at. Chosen yep. family is the good stuff. It is possible to have people who are blood relations to you, and also you choose one another as family. My brother is one of my favorite people in the world. He is related to me. But actually, the important part is that we've chosen to have a relationship with each other. That's actually the important part. But you can choose who your family is. You you, you might have heard people say the opposite. You might have heard say, well, oh, you can't choose your family. Yes, you can. <laughs> you can and you should. Anybody yeah. who's going to have a life that they feel good about at the end of the day, man, part of that is going to be chosen family. Part of that is going to be. Finding people who get you, who love you, who appreciate you, who want to be there for you and choosing to invest and build a relationship. And one of the acid tests is this person who, you know, maybe they're in my life, maybe they're not. Do they at least see the kind of person that I am today? Do they at least see how I am in the world? Because if they either don't see it or won't see it, they're probably not a good candidate for chosen family. I think you'll find that there are plenty of people who are eager not only to see but to celebrate the person that you are today who would love to build a relationship with you of, of depth and of intimacy and of vulnerability where you can be family to each other. I really want to encourage you to think about that, and, and here's one more thought, just something to ponder. Not having the kind of relationships that you wish you had with your relatives is a sad thing, and it makes sense to grieve that. And I'm not trying to talk you out of grieving. What I will say is you can grieve that loss and build a sense of chosen family at the same time. Mm. You can do both. Grieve to the extent that you need to grieve. But give yourself permission to build that sense of chosen family. You deserve to have it. We want you to have it. I believe God wants you to have it too.
0: Very, very well put. A great place to start us off. Lee, what would we have to add? Well, I was thinking
1: about this and I love um I love where where Jed took us there. I don't have a lot to add because he's exactly right on on all of it. There's not a, a ton else to say about it. But I was thinking about this moment where um it's right before Uh, Jesus, uh, goes to the cross. It's a a few days before that. And he's in a city called Bethany and there is a woman who in the midst of Jesus's disciples comes into the room and takes a really expensive bottle of perfume, breaks it and pours it on his feet as an offering to him. And the disciples start making fun of her. And they actually, it says in one of the accounts, they became, they became angry with her. And they started berating her. And in one of the most cool things that happens in all of the gospels, Jesus looks at his friends and says, leave her alone. And it's just such an amazing moment where um, the, the son of God just flatly has someone's back. Leave her alone, he says. Um. The thing that I would encourage you is, I know that you're not going to hear, um, you may not hear the audible voice of Jesus saying that to the people in your life. What I want to encourage you is that you have the right to read words like that and, and hear the voice of Jesus over your own life as he, in concert with that moment, says to the people in your life, leave her alone. Um, you have a new identity in Jesus and the way that he feels about you, um, completely overwhelms the, whatever, any, anybody else's scorecard, anybody else's history, anybody else's narrative of who you are. But it's not just that he has an aggressive defense of you, which would say to those other people, leave her alone, leave him alone. Um, The, 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 the local like high school sports team in my town, I I work with high school kids. So I I was thinking about this when, when I saw your question, the local high school sports team in our town just got a new like head coach. And the thing that's been interesting about talking to um, my friends on that team that are players on that team is that everything that they've worked for all this time with, you know, however long they've been in school in the old coach's system is now out the window. Everything is now buying into the new coach's system um in the same way that Jed's talking about choosing a new family. you are under a new system. The new system is the one that d- it, it is it's it one day it's going to be revealed to be the only system. The way Jesus sees you is going to be the only thing that matters and my My heart for you and my advice for you is as much as you can to put yourself under this new system. Let the old system go away and hear the voice of Jesus saying, my way is, it's my way or the highway. I'm going to, the way I see the world, the way I see people is going to be the only thing that matters. And that's going to be very, very soon. And to anyone that wants to hold your old life over you, I say to them, leave her alone. Um, That's my heart for you. And I hope that I really hope that the that the Lord can can kind of put a tug and a squeeze on your heart as you hear those words and encouragement that this is exactly right and it's exactly what he wants you to feel of yourself.
0: Beautifully put, absolutely. And we we do definitely believe that God sees those changes you're making. He celebrates them and he wants you to have people in your life who you celebrate them. Um I know it can feel like an uphill battle to get to that if they're not. It can feel like, you know, if people who are in my own family are gonna celebrate these with me, then how am I ever gonna find people who are um your family brings a lot of baggage to both relationally and maybe personally, depending on how your family is doing, uh, to that kind of thing for a number of reasons, some of which Jed, uh, I think very smartly theorized on earlier of why they may not be willing to meet that, um, new people be that, uh, going to church, trying out a, you know, some kind of a meetup group, a support group, that kind of thing where you meet some new people who are, on the same path, on the same journey, working on themselves in the same way you are, um, you, it is shocking and sometimes a little depressing how much more willing, almost total strangers are to celebrate <laughs> and support you yeah. than your uh, family and people you've known a long time. Um, but that can, there's a, a very positive side to that too, because those people are out there, uh, they're out there to connect with. We definitely believe that for you. And we hope that you will take those steps and that you will find those people quickly um, alright we're gonna take out we're gonna uh, end there if you have a question for us say that podcast at gmail.com thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask you wanna keep that entirely anonymous take out the song this week we're gonna do a metal hymn Ooh, going back to a previous yeah, conversation yeah. this is from our sister program the bridge loud this is love lifted me take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you God loves you there's nothing you can do about it I was-